Hi there, I'm Ben Pierce, and welcome to the Tech World Human Skills Podcast. The podcast all about helping you in the tech world develop your human skills or soft skills or whatever you want to call them. Each episode, we share the top tips, failures, and lived experiences of people thriving in the same world as you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get going. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tech World Human Skills Podcast. Now, this episode, we're talking about making the leap from a corporate tech role to to founding your own company. And our guest today spent many years in, in various data roles, including you know, database development and solution architecture. And then he made a leap to, to co-found a data analytics consultancy. So will you please welcome to the podcast, Saranga Fernando. Thank you very much, Ben. Um, thanks for the great intro. And it's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I think it's really interesting to have a chat, you know, about people that have uh, uh, you know, had a big career switch and particularly people you know, in deep technical roles. Um, so I, I wonder for all our listeners out there that don't know you, um, could you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Saranga Fernando. Um, I guess back in the day, I started out as a mechanical engineer and a science graduate. So mechanical engineering and then computer science. I was always interested in computers. Uh, first job was as a VB6 developer, um, cutting code and fixing bugs with VB6 um, as part of a, a large organization, a large systems integrator, um, where I did project management, testing, uh, development, um, eventually moved on, started getting a little bit more into that kind of development team leadership. Um, so really got, got to grips with engineering at scale, um, then moved into architecture, uh, solution architecture, and then enterprise architecture. Actually had a, had a good few years kind of um, getting trained up in how to do large scale transformations with a techn- technology background. And then um, moved to Microsoft, where working for a hyperscaler in the cloud, um, helping customers leverage cloud technology. Um, and then made the jump to uh, co-found a business. Right. And uh, so how, how long ago? Because it, 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 I guess it's a year or 18 months. How long ago did you, did you find found the company? Yes, yeah, so just over a year now. We've been going as Ario Blue. Um, okay. So, and it was uh, just about five years at Microsoft. So it's been a, yeah, just, just, just over a year now. Right. And so Ario, Ario Blue, I was going to say Aero Blue, I got that wrong. So it's Ario Blue, right, yes. is the name. And, and so what, what, what is Ario Blue? So um, we're a data analytics consultancy. We do focus quite heavily on the Microsoft um, Azure platform. Um, two, of, two of the co-founders are from Microsoft. The other two um, very heavily involved in Microsoft Azure uh, projects and large transformations. That's where our heritage and, and expertise is. Um, and we specialize in helping large organizations move rapidly um, towards their strategy often, um, helping them leverage Microsoft technologies, helping them change their culture often um, as you as they move from uh, traditional ways of working into developing natively for the cloud. Okay, brilliant. Well, I, you know, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, 
thinking about, you know, particularly people that have got a really tech background like yourself, then starting, I guess, to, to, to be more entrepreneurial. And, and I wondered if we could start off by thinking about what was it that that, that led you to, to jump from sort of being in that, I guess, you know, the corporate role, you know, big tech at a hyperscaler, working with customers every day, exciting projects and quite tech focused, I guess, to to, to co-founding a business and opening up like the, the world of, I don't know, limited companies and tax returns and, and all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I've thought about this question a lot just in preparing for this, Ben. Um, and <laughs> you know when you're going to think I ended up with I don't know? Because um, <laughs> in, in reality, uh, those five years at Microsoft were my dream job. They were my right. dream job, uh, exactly as you said, working with lots of customers um, at the cutting edge of technology. Um, and But back when I, uh, if I look back over my career, there's always been a part of me that's, I want to start my own thing. I want to put my own print on an organization. I want to take some people with me. I want to build something that um, we as a group of people can look at and say, that's the company we want to be. Um, Microsoft was great, actually, because I joined at a time where it was going through a cultural renaissance, essentially, um, where um, as an organization, Microsoft, it's not the Microsoft of uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. It, it was a, a really cutting edge place to work with a lovely culture to be in with some amazing people around it. Um, and I think I took some inspiration from that, really. Um, and then coupled with I think a few th few stars aligning, meeting my co-founders, building that kind of um, thought process with them who had all had that same sort of urge to build something. Um, and the timing just worked. Yeah. And 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 so interestingly, you know, when we had a quick chat before we started recording this um, and, I, and I was talking about what your role is now and... Um, you you describe yourself as a co-founder now. Quite often, when techies you know get together with a with a bunch of other folks to found a company, the techies sort of go into this CTO type role, and that becomes their job title. Um, but but you specifically you don't call yourself a CTO or, or a tech director. You, you, you keep with the the, the co-founder. Can you talk to me a bit about that? So I, I guess personally for me, balance has always been, and and I think you'll you'll see it come out through quite a lot of different questions in this that balance is key. So okay. um, you're right, being a co-founder, we're involved in financial, commercial, sales, technology, architecture, delivery, all of the aspects. Um, there, there are definitely those of us um, in the co-founder group who are more specialist in some of those areas. But I think actually the balance of being able to bounce those ideas across, across the co-founding and the management team is crucial to how we act with customers how we aren't so so laser focused on one thing we're blinkered from the other aspects so that's why i, I really like the idea co-founder um, it's not to say that we don't specialize because yep. we do um but it brings that balance it is and, and i think that was one of the things i found when i moved from the big corporate world to the, the small business world is you, know, you very much had a lane to swim in when you're in the corporate world. You, you had a, a function a remit and there was scope for creativity you know mm -hmm. but ultimately you were there to do this whereas when you move into the smaller business world it's a bit of whatever needs getting done and suddenly you need to do a bit of marketing or you need to do a bit of sales or you need to do a bit of tax you know or something really different 
And yeah, I I fully agree. And I, I I challenge you, Ben, actually, to think about the the people, maybe even yourself. If you think about your career, the people that stand out. I think you know one of the things I find definitely is it's those folk who are happy to swim outside their lane a little bit, but responsibly. Um, so not arrogantly running into someone else's lane and telling them how to do it, uh, but having confidence that you are good in your lane, but actually you can add value outside of yeah. your lane. And so again, yeah. that's, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to be pigeonholed as a an engineer only or an architect only, because yeah. I feel like with the experience I've got, I can add value. And, and I do look for that, you know, so if we're talking to engineers, you've got to look for the other things outside of engineering. If you just pigeonhole someone as an engineer, and you yeah. don't see that they are going to be great at, you know, persuading people or getting them involved in pre-sales conversation, then I think we'd limit people too easily by pigeonholing them. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're right. It's, um, yeah, really, for me, really exciting to try different things, learn new things. But I still love doing a bit of tech. You know, I don't <laughs> think I could... You know, I, I couldn't just go into baby food, you know, or something like that and go, you know, there is still for me something really exciting about working in tech. I still quite like figuring out how things work, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. And so do I. You know, my, uh, I'm constantly, I've got my hands dirty with any any of the tech, whether it's Power BI and report writing or bits of Python and data science or data engineering. Um And then, you know, getting my pen out on a whiteboard and, and, and drawing up architecture. So, yeah, I love it all. So I wonder if we could think a little bit about the reality, you know, so a a day comes where um, you hand your notice in, right, at the the company, right, you know, you've probably been doing some planning before that, I'm imagining, but what what does that journey look like for you at Aria Blue? What's the reality of that sort of first few months, six months, year of setting up your own data analytics consultancy? What does that actually look like? So, uh, I mean, even pre-launch, there's a, yes, as you say, there's a lot of planning. Um, and so f- all of the co-founders for the life stages we were in, we, we didn't really have, I mean, it's, it's going to be a risk, but we didn't have that kind of, well, you know, we can afford not to make money for the first year or we didn't have that. So we had to do some really serious planning, uh, okay. make sure that um, the business that we were going to set up was viable commercially and it wasn't just... Uh, for enthusiastic um, kind of leaders trying to um, start something without thinking about it, just because we are we might be good at our individual jobs, but we needed to build a business and, and something that we could grow. Um, I guess that planning stage was quite elongated for us. Lots of financial planning, lots of trying to understand what it means to run a business and how to kind of financially plan what kind of our service offerings were were going to be um, and how we could scale it. So a lot of planning before. Then um, how do you then, I guess you need some customers to go and work with. How how is it that you sort of went from, right, there's there's zero to now actually we've got some people that want us to come in and help deliver some value. How how did you sort of get those first few customers? So uh, with that, we had contacts and we've got a black book and we've, we've been um, really fortunate uh, with the co-founders to work with some amazing customers. Uh, and uh, almost as you said before, we were kind of laying the groundwork, making sure there was interest in that um, community of contacts for if we were to do something, would would they be interested? And the answer was yeah. yes. So as we transitioned from our previous jobs, we had essentially 
figured out that we didn't need a, uh, a a fallow period where we didn't have anything. We could just jump straight into something which helped us get going, brought some money in um, yeah. into the business, allowed us to uh, employ our first few consultants, essentially, and then start growing and scaling from there. Really? And, and so as that sort of scaled out, what were the bits, I guess, over that first year where you go, actually, this is this is a bit easier than I thought it w- w- was going to be. And then what are the bits on the flip side? Because it's always nice to talk about the reality. W- what are the bits you go, ah, well, this was actually a lot harder <laughs> than, than, than I thought it was going to be? So uh, the, 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 the easier than I thought it was going to be is going to sound arrogant, but it's not meant to be because we put so much time into it. I think um, we put a lot of time into overanalyzing everything we were doing, whether it was preparing our finances, whether it, whether it was talking to customers, setting up um, things like statements of work and contracts and uh, making sure that all the, the processes that go around purchase ordering. You know, I'm an architect and an engineer as a background. We have to learn all of that, get the feedback externally. So that's talking to a lot of people who have been on that journey before. Um, one thing I would say, it's it's amazing that how many entrepreneurs are out there, how many people who have been through what we've been through are so happy to help. They're happy okay. to talk, talk to us. Um, you would almost say, well, they're, they're your competitors, but they're human beings. They've been through that journey. They they will help. Um, and getting that, that contact base has been un- um, unbelievable for us. So that's been good. And so what what have been then, the, the, you know, are there, are there any hard bits that sort of stretch out? And you go, actually, I thought this was going to be easy and this, this bit isn't easy. So the... the, the, the element of responsibility you have you know when, when it's just you just four co-founders who you, essentially you could think well if we make this amount of money we can pay ourselves but when you yeah. start taking on people and it's like th- those those individuals have lives and mortgages and kids to feed and um that responsibility is hard you know it makes you really think about are we doing the right things properly all of the time um it's essentially it's it's like having a, a a larger and larger family that you have to provide for and make sure that you're making responsible decisions not just in the instant because it sounds good but actually for the long term of the people that uh, rely on their wages coming in so that 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 weighs heavy um but it's also it 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 actually keeps us very grounded and makes yeah. makes sure we're doing things in the right way uh, what i find is it makes you really uh, think about disregarding the shiny thing so i would say as a techie and i think lots of people do the new shiny thing is the new shiny thing and that's the thing that i want to play with and then you're looking at the new shiny thing going oh now normally i would just go for that shiny thing but does that shiny thing actually deliver when i'm thinking about making sure i can pay the wages of somebody else and it it really helps give some clarity doesn't it it does and and you know thinking about the the they're going to podcast content and your blog content. If you think about it, it's, it's almost like saying, as a techie, your focus is delivery or the outcome or engineering, but actually it's the human part. Um, it's making sure that we're looking after our staff, that we're looking after ourselves. Yeah. Balance, work-life balance is hard in a, in a startup. Um, the hours are going in, but are we spending those hours on the right things? Are we talking to our staff? Are we making sure that as well as projects being delivered, that we're building a culture that um, we want people to be able to talk about yeah yeah no the, the, the other thing i found that's that's quite interesting is 
Um, working out when you need to be patient and persistent that you're doing the right thing and you've just got to turn the handle. Do you know what I mean? And if we're just patient and we just do this, it will come, right? Like we're on the right course, just keep going. Versus when you're going, this isn't working. We need to pivot. We need to course course correct. We need to change. And knowing when do you need to, to course correct and when do you just need to exercise a bit of grit and just keep doing it. That, to me, seems really hard. <laughs> it, it, it is. And I, I mean, I will say that that is where the leadership team and my co-founders, we bounce, that's exactly where we, we are able to bounce ideas off each other. So individually, if someone's got a doubt or someone's got, I think we need to pivot, then you've got um, the calm heads around yeah. you to be able to share that with, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I can... You know, from where I sit now, I can see there's a lonely side to being in that leadership or that kind of entrepreneurial role. If you, you know, because the effect of your decision, if you are the only person making that decision, is hard. Yeah. As leaders, we need to be able to make those choices, but it's actually really nice and comforting um, to be able to bounce those ideas off peers and make sure that um, there's at least some feedback. Now, that can. Um, if it's not checked, it can lead to indecisiveness or not making decisions. But that's yeah. something to guard against, too. Yeah. Now, now you, you mentioned your leadership team there a little bit. Um, how many co-founders did you have? And, and sort of, so you sort of came with that solution architecture, perhaps, background. And, and that's sort of what you're bringing into the party. How many co-founders and what, and what did they bring to the party? And, and how do you divide then your responsibility as you set that up? It's a great question. So um, I suppose just a really quick bit of background. So we, we're a, as a consultancy, what we do is we go and advise customers and we often deliver solutions for them. Um, and the four pillars that kind of uh, started Ario Blue, there's a commercial aspect, which is hopefully obvious to everyone why we need that in a business. Uh, there's <laughs> architect, architecture and strategy, um, which is incredibly important to customers. So that's where my expertise comes in program management and delivery and that kind of really robust um, mechanism to ensure that you're delivering value for a customer. Um, as the projects get hard, that's the one of the, the, the third pillar. And the fourth pillar is engineering excellence. So that really low level technological excellence that allows um, projects to essentially not only deliver the outcome, but deliver them with quality uh, in a scalable way. So all of those four aspects, the co-founders bring a completely separate skill set. Okay. And underlying all of those uh, are the human skills that you often are talking about on your um, on your content. And, and so I guess, you know, four pillars you're going, you've got commercial, architecture, PM, engineering excellence. And I guess your area of of excellence would be for the architecture is that the sort of pillar that you, you sort of yes. pick up architecture and enterprise architecture and strategy and um yes absolutely that and then the other co-founders they're sort of more focusing on the commercial or the pm or the or the the engineering excellence side that's right that's right that's where that's where so uh commercial and sales uh architecture and strategy program management engineering right and and how have you found that so coming from that sort of architecture background it, it's been a real benefit has it co-founding with people with those different skills so that you've got all of those 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 covered as opposed to having you having to spread across all of those four things 
I would say, uh, yeah, this for me comes down to diversity of thought um, okay. and, and, and being able to understand that sometimes you need a commercial focus to a, uh, a conversation or a topic. And if I don't think there's a human being in the world, really, who can attest to saying I am brilliant at all of those things all of the time. And my personality allows me to understand how to be good at all of those things all of the time all of the time so i think being able to understand our own limitations and where we come from so it's very stereotypical but if i said as an architect i always need to understand all of these aspects of a solution whereas actually stereotypically if you said someone commercial might say we don't need to worry about with that we need to worry about the outcome i can say Yes, I understand that, but I might not be in the right headspace all of, all of the time. I might be in an architect's headspace or an engineering headspace, but I do need to hear it and I need to respond and listen to the feedback and before we make decisions. Does that yeah. make sense? So, yeah, so it's really playing and it's really worked out really nicely that you've managed to find these founders that are willing to take the risk, uh, you get on well with and have got such a complementary set of skills um, you know, to be able to launch the company and do so well over the first year. Yes, uh, and you, you say fortunate, but we did plan it that way. You know, that, that, yeah. that was one of the things that drove us towards starting it because yeah. um, it was a just good timing that the four of us were having that conversation. We can articulate that the skills that we bring are independent and important yeah. to the thing that we are trying to build. Yeah. So, so you've done that that year. Um, what would be the lessons? I guess you know, if if somebody was thinking, do you know what I mean? I've got an inclining that I I might fancy doing this, or you know, the the other thing, you know, heavens forbid, um, redundancy. You know, still there's new story after new story after redundancy and redundancy. So if people either have that inkling that they want to go and do this. Or find through circumstance they're in a position where this might be a great opportunity. Well, what would be the sort of the lessons that you've you've learned over the past year that you you'd pass and pay forward to these folks? <laughs> um, so again, I'm going to bring that balance word back in. Um, okay. Uh, if if you've got a, a really good idea and you think it works technically, then you need to think about it commercially. You need to think, right, it, it's my idea and I know how I want to uh, implement it. Can you can you explain it to someone to, as, a, as a kind of business leader now? If the four of us co-founders can do something really, really well, that's brilliant. We've got a four-man company. Uh, we need to be able to scale and get that idea across to some people who haven't got the enthusiasm right now uh, because they haven't heard about it. We need to be able to espouse that get them on board and be able to um, drive that vision forward with us. So I think thinking about um, more than just yourself and how you can get a group of people to start yep. that organization. So some of that thinking was crucial in our startup uh, before before we launched. Um, yep. the, I guess the other lessons are, um, it, it's, it is pretty hard, you have to think, to, to kind of come out of the comfort zone of your own area um, and think, how are we going to manage finances, HR? Uh, how are we going to get payroll sorted? All of those things. They, if they, even if they don't give you energy, you, they are. You have to put some time into them and make sure you've got robust processes. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've got getting a bit of balance if you can. So, so through other people that can help you, 
you've gone for the co-founder or mentors, I guess, if you if somebody's going to start it on their own, that kind of stuff. So it's a bit of balance. Um, this idea of uh, just think knowing that you're going to have to do put on a variety of hats, regardless of what you're going to do, whether they give you energy or not. Um, there's certain government legislation, certain things you need to do to run a business that you must you, you must do regardless. A- anything else springing up as lessons over the past year? I suppose, it, it's, it, it's, I'm going to put it, put it under the word diligence, I suppose, um, okay. which is, you know, w- when you think something's easy, just make sure you've done a bit of research, that you, you've looked up exactly, as you say, those government websites, the, the corporate websites, say, is there anything else here that I need to pick on? Uh, or pick at to make sure that we're doing this in the right way um so that diligence and having having a team whether that's co-founders or being kind of mature enough to say i don't have that skill set so i need to bring that into the business somehow um i think asking for help as being one of the things um yeah that uh it's been you know it's been quite hard to to learn because often through through your career um as you become better and better at some things, that's where you get pigeonholed into doing and you're doing more of the things. And, and then to have the confidence to go, oh, there's an area here that I don't know anything about. Yeah. Um, I need to go and find some help. I think yeah. that's being crucial for us. And, and I think also that's reinforced by, you know, often the word in tech, you know, is SME, isn't it? Subject matter expert. And yeah. subject matter expert sometimes brings with it the baggage of I need to know the answer. Um, and so yes. people are paid to know the answer. But actually, you therefore need to be able to get in a mindset where you can say, but I don't know, but I can find the answer and I'm prepared to ask for help to, to get to that answer. Yeah, as a leader, co-founder, as a consultant, even yeah, as, as a consultant, yeah. when, we're, when we are approaching customers, they do expect you to know the answer. Um, but almost the human skills part, which kind of hopefully resonates, is I think, you know, as a human being, you do uh, respond to people who have empathy uh, he yeah. would say, I see the, heart, the the challenge in front of us and we've got some experience which allows us to solve that problem, but we don't know all the intricacies, but here's our track record. So, and, and this is how we are going to fill the skills gap, help, help a customer go forward. All of that um, comes into it. Yes. Now, now you start to talk there about about skills gap, but if we start to then look forward to to, to you guys scaling out, and 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 I believe you're in a position where you start to think about scaling out, hiring in more people, that kind of stuff. I wondered if we could talk about that, and that's that's wonderful to hear, particularly when you're just sick of hearing news about people losing jobs as opposed to people getting jobs. So so you're starting to think about scaling out, start to think about hiring people. What are the when you're thinking about bringing people into a company like this? And hiring as as a, a technical arm within that co-founder leadership team. What is it that you're going to be hiring for? What tips would you have for people that are starting to apply for jobs? So what is it you're looking for? So uh, for where we are in our in our kind of growth trajectory, that the individuals we are looking for again, diversity of thought is key. Being able to communicate with customers is key. Um, for me, empathy. um, is a huge part of consulting. Um, So listening, trying to understand and make sure that you feed back to a customer that we do understand um, what they are asking for. And I don't mean in a kind of surface way that we really think about. Uh, So individuals who can show that um, are like gold dust. Um, 
the technical skills behind that that allow them to um, engineer, architect, or or lead delivery through are almost a hygiene factor for us, you know, because those skills can be learnt. Some of the things which um, I was talking about at the start of this, you can train yourself. You can, and, and I think some of the content that you provide is exactly to that point. They can be trained, yeah. but you have to practice them. Yeah. Um, and so we we are looking for people with that spark to say, you know, they invest in themselves in those areas as well as the technical areas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems to be the technical stuff. You, you can sit down, can't you, with uh, I don't know. Uh, some documentation with some labs, whatever, whatever it is, and, and you can get there. So, some of those skills, like you say, like like empathy, for example, um, you can learn the theory of empathy, yeah. you know, w- w- which to me is like, well, so firstly, I need to exercise a bit of curiosity. Yeah. Um, and then I've got to listen. Then I've got to take back and consider and reflect upon what they've said. Now I've got to maybe take, ask some more questions and take some action. And then when I take that action, then I'm actually doing something with that. You know, it, it starts off with curiosity and asking and listening and all of that yes. kind of stuff. But, but then you've actually got to do that to, yeah. to get better at it. And you practice. So you can absolutely learn it. But it takes a little bit more effort and a little bit more experience than than looking at a lab or or doing a lab <laughs> and knowing the answer at the end of ten minutes. Exactly right. You know, I, I can go online and within ten minutes I'll find um, fifty hours of how I can practice writing Power BI reports or visualizations that get better or do data science accelerators that will teach me something and do fifty of them. But how, how do I learn how to be more empathetic or listen better? The practicing of that. Um, it's harder to find that content, I think. Yeah, no, no, completely agree. Um, no, I know. I think it's really fascinating, and I think the other thing that's fascinating is the as as generative and AI, it seems, takes more of a chunk out of knowledge worker skill set. You know, so, so generative AI is is able to do more and more things, and is going to continue at that that fast velocity. It feels to me like a lot of jobs are going to start to, you know, become more more AI-ified or AI-replaced. But but the bits where it seems a lot harder is where um, the the technical or the knowledge world inter interfaces with the human world. You know, you know, to take a really silly example, getting an AI to try and fix your sink that's got a blockage is really hard at the moment, right? Because <laughs> you'd need a robot that could do all of that. Then you'd need the AI, you know, and that's, you know, that. so that's a great example. But it feels to me like that interface is the bit where you've got a foot in the tech camp and the knowledge world, but then yeah. a foot in that human world as well. It feels Absolutely. where that's a bit safer from your job being replaced by AI at the moment. What, what do you uh, think? No, I, I fully agree. And I think, you know, um, AI uh, or technologies that help you understand how to do something are brilliant. Uh, but uh, I guess in, in my line of work, often you can get there with the help of AI or with your experience. Here's what we should do. Uh, the, the key is how, how do I organize and persuade the relevant people that um, it's easy to persuade everyone that that's the right answer, but then getting from where we are now to have that right answer implemented isn't, yeah. uh, you know, AI can give you a project plan, but it can't yeah. deal with the um, the human elements of, well, actually, every one of the people in that plan has their own needs and wants yeah. who have, I'll, I'll go right down into a technical example, 
you've got a security function who have needs and wants, which is to secure an organization. You have a, um, a department who wants to make money and deliver value quickly. And sometimes those two things clash. AI will tell you the outcomes that are needed and a plan which will give you a secure architecture and uh, use these platforms and, you know, but persuading security yeah. to listen to the outcome when it's the same company that you're working with. Some of that bit is the nuance that um, AI yet, uh, to this day, I don't think yeah. can solve all the little gaps in between. Yeah, and then when you add in the further nuances that that guy from security is having a really bad week and then, <laughs> then doesn't get on with this lady that works in this department and you exactly. know there's some bad blood going on there and you need to get in the middle of that. And yes. then some contractual agreements with a third-party vendor that yeah. uh, isn't doing what they... You know, by the time you start to add all of those human layers on as well, that, yes. that, that theoretical plan's a bit a bit... Yeah not going to get you there yeah and being able to navigate that with empathy and understanding that um there are rationales and reasons why everyone is um coming to the table with options blockers whatever it is and then being able to work through those it's that's key yeah well, do you know what? We have zipped through time. We are we are heading towards the uh, the the end of the episode. So, I I wonder perhaps could you maybe from your perspective, what what would be the the key takeaways for anybody listening that's thinking, you know, oh, I am interested in in founding a data consultancy or or, or any of their own sort of company. What what would be the key takeaways that you'd want people to take away from this podcast? Um, I suppose depending on where you are in your career, um, if if you're early on, I would s- seek balance. You know, if you are an expert technically uh, as a data scientist, go go find out what it means to be a tester, a project manager. Get and and if that's not in your current role, talk to people. Get get mentored by people who have got a completely different mindset to you. Um, if you are an engineer who doesn't understand salespeople or how they work or what makes them tick, find that experience, get that balance. Um, I guess going back to the start over my career, I've been fortunate enough to have a, a variety of skills and all the way through that tech career, there have been leanings into the commercial side, pre-sales side, as we've, as companies I've worked at have gone through acquisitions and you kind of get thrust into that commercial side and you just need to open your mind to to seeing how they work and why they work. Um, if you're if you're thinking you're ready to make the jump, then um, hopefully that means you've got some really solid experience behind you, or you've got a very good idea. For for those people, the key is for me, uh, plan and and carefully, I suppose, because some of these things might be really interesting ideas that you do need to keep confidential. Find that kind of inner circle of trust or the tent that you want to work within, and get some feedback. Um, from people that you trust. Love it. Always love to jot down some notes. Seek balance. So trying to balance out your skill set and that kind of stuff. Love it. And then and then getting feedback. You know what a, what a gift feedback is, isn't it? You don't always want to hear it, but uh, what what a what a gift it what a gift it can be. And so I I love to hear that. The, and the other thing that I loved to hear was just when you were thinking about hiring there, how. You know, so often we get caught up in our tech skills and you were saying when you're thinking about hiring, that's almost like a hygiene factor. You know, we, we don't get me wrong. Very important foundation. Super important. But 
relatively straightforward to develop. Uh, but actually investing some of those longer term skills like empathy was the one that you brought out. That's what's going to make the difference. And that's like the gold dust. They're, those are the people that you're going to hire that are going to be top of the of the recruitment tree. You know, who you're trying to bring into the org. Fascinating. Um, well, um, for everybody that uh, would lo love to find out more about Ario Blue, connect with you, um, wh where can people find you and connect with you? So um, if you're interested in what we are as a company and whether you want to um, think about careers with us or come and utilise our services, uh, the first place I would go to is our website at www.arioblue.com. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn. We're quite prolific at sending out quite a lot of um, content on LinkedIn. So you can just interact with that and, and come to our LinkedIn page that way. Brilliant. And for anybody that's interested, I will pop in the show notes, uh, a link to that. How do you spell Ario Blue? That's the bit that confused me. How do you spell that? It's A-R-R-E-O-B-L-U-E. That is that double R that got me, that double <laughs> R. Um, so what, what I'll just say is, is thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us, Saranga. It is, I think, really inspiring to see people from the tech world adding balance, to use your words, you know, adding vision and, and you know, building different skill sets. Really inspiring and really interesting. So hopefully some of the things that you've said here will really help people, um, inspire them a little bit, give them something tangible to take away. So, so thank you so much for, for taking the time to be with us today oh and thank you ben for inviting me it's been an absolute pleasure brilliant see you soon bye-bye take care bye-bye well there we go thanks for listening now i do want to tell you about the new technical storytelling essentials digital course it's a great way to develop your influencing your presentation and your communication skills it's only 97 english pounds or 120 us dollars i think it's fair to say you need it in your life oh and can you do me a favor could you subscribe to the podcast and rate the show it really helps to spread the word